What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Money Cheesemans podcast. It's your favorite Latina siblings, Israel and Sanem Tovar, coming at you with the real deal on how to get your money right and secure the bag as teachers and women of color. As an award-winning educator and personal finance expert, we are on a mission to bring anti-racist, culturally responsive financial literacy to teachers and women of color. So if you are ready to get your money right, we are so glad you're here. The Money Chisme podcast is sponsored by the Dream Teacher Project. The Dream Teacher Project is on a mission to empower teachers and women of color to get their money right and build generational wealth. So I'm so excited to have you join us today's, for today's uh, podcast episode. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Israel on how he was able to reach a six-figure net worth by the age of 26 as a first-gen teacher of color. But before we begin, I want to ask you, Israel, how is it going? Um, so we're recording this in December. So today is December 11th. Um, I just got back yesterday from D.C. as I don't know if I'm I think I mentioned this. I was, you know, traveling to Boston, uh, Yale, New Haven, New York and D.C. for a week and a half. And I was staying with friends from college, um, like couch surfing a little bit. And I was staying in each of these places for like two to three days. It's like catching up with people, like exploring, um, going to spots where I used to go before when I was in college and when I lived in DC and X, Y, and Z. And I loved it. I love uh, meeting up with my friends and visiting places where I, you know, developed as a human, right? In college and DC. But I'm exhausted. Like, I am exhausted. I was just not meant to, like, travel like this. Like, for me, I know some people, I have a friend, a really good friend, who travels while she travels and she loves it. Like, you know, I mean, I think it's wild, but she loves it. She's incredibly extroverted. I'm also extroverted, but not to her degree. And she just like needs a lot of stimulation more than me. Um, And that works for her. It doesn't work for me. And so I was exhausted from traveling. So yesterday, I mean, you picked me up. I was like, I'm tired. You're like, it seems like you're exhausted from capitalism. I was like, oh. Yeah. He came back looking like really exhausted. Like he gave me so much like, like drain type of energy that I'm like, something's wrong with him. He just needs to take a nap. So, I mean, I took a nap, two hour nap. And then I slept for nine hours. And then I went to the gym. I hadn't gone to the gym in a minute. And I felt better. But then I felt tired again. And I napped for another hour. And now I've been, I'm feeling better. But yeah, I was just so exhausted from all the traveling, you know. So I know that I'm not. Oh, so go ahead, bro. No, I was going to say. And also, like, when you travel, like, you when you travel this quickly and you pop around into like different people's uh, places like you can't build a routine mm-hmm. and I think that's mm-hmm. probably affected you a lot because yeah, I know yeah. I would also be yeah. feeling like some sort of way yeah, if I was yeah. doing that. oh you're right and I, I I know that right I know I'm very much a routine person like routines really like ground me I need a lot of structure it's partly because I suffer from anxiety uh, but also like structure and routine just like gives me like helps me just achieve what I want to achieve every day like whether that's personal professional whatever and I didn't have routines, right? And so I think that's why it was exhausting. But I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I don't regret it. But yeah, I was I was exhausted. Now I'm not as exhausted anymore. And 
Um, I guess I'm still I'm still burnt out from capitalism, though. I feel like that hasn't gone away, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I think we are all exhausted from capitalism. Yes, capitalism is just. I was I was telling you how like you know I'm applying to full time jobs and like that's just so exhausting. It's so exhausting to apply to full time jobs, even though I don't have a full time job now. So I'm just can only imagine how challenging it is if you have a you know if you have children, a lot of responsibilities a full-time job and you're applying to full-time jobs, right? That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Like I have no idea how people do it when they have to do all of that Um, because applying to like a new job sounds like a job in itself. It is a job in itself. You're not getting paid for all these 50 interviews that a job wants to have with you. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, let's get into the meeting because you know I love to fill the space. I can talk about this today. Yeah, but okay, so we're going to start, but I just want to say welcome back to rainy Nashville because it has been raining here the whole week, Um, but I think it didn't rain today, so maybe it was thanks to you. Yeah, it was definitely thanks to me. I'm going to let you know that right now. I definitely brought the sunshine. Well, there's no sunshine today, but I, at least I took the rain away. (laughs) Yeah, at least, at least, and I thank you for that. Okay, so let's get started. So before we start interviewing you, I want you to... Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know like we've talked about ourselves in the first two mm-hmm. episodes, but if anybody's new listening to this podcast and they don't know about you, uh, can you please just like introduce yourself? Yeah, I'll give you like a little quick summary of myself. So, um, you know, back in the day, once upon a time, I'm not say that. Uh, I was born in Tijuana, Mexico, but I grew up both in Los Angeles and Nashville. And I went to Yale for undergrad. I got my bachelor's in ethnic studies there. Um, and then I decided that I want to become a teacher because um, when I was in high school, before going to college, I was teaching English to uh, primarily undocumented Latino immigrants. And I loved it a lot. And I just felt like I had a knack for curriculum writing and teaching and building relationships and then when I got to Yale I thought that I wanted to uh, be a teacher but then like all this like tacit pressure of pursuing more quote-unquote prestigious high-paying lucrative careers like you know met like becoming a doctor or a lawyer or pursuing you know academia like kind of distorted my vision and so for some time I thought that I wanted to do like um work in the intersections of education policy and law and I, I entered on the hill in dc for one summer i hated it it was just it was just ugh. people are so power hungry like people are just it was not giving it was not cute for me and i was like maybe i don't want to do like national policy i also felt very disconnected from like the community like maybe i don't want to do like national policy work i want to do like more like state policy and so the next summer I interned in the New York State Education Department in New York City, and um, I was working with the Office of Bilingual Education and World Languages, and I was specifically the legal assistant of the Director of English Language Learner Law and Policy. So her role was to enforce state regulations that protected the rights of immigrant and English language learners in New York. So, for example, if a school district wasn't providing um, it's learners, it's students, like the required number by law, state law, New York state law, that they had to give them, then she would step in. She'll get like complaints from teachers or folks on the ground, and then she will step in and like enforce the law. And I was just like 
go, you know, follow her around, help her in like developing little media agenda, like little law policy memos and all these, like talk to, to, to people who had complaints. Um, and I realized that like, I just didn't want to write like these little law memos, legal memos. Like I wasn't trying to do a little policy. I was just trying to be like one of the people complaining. That's what I was trying to do. Right? <laughs> I just want to be one of the teachers complaining. Right? It's like, ain't nobody serving our kids. Right. Like that's what I wanted to be. I want to be on the ground, like working, you know, with communities directly. And so that's when I like had like a little breakthrough. I'm like, I actually just want to be a teacher. I came to college wanting to be a teacher. And, um, I that's what I'm gonna do. So I was fortunate enough to have like the Gates Millennium Scholarship, which would cover my master's in education. And so I decided to apply and I specifically wanted to go to California because they were um, at that time like pushing for like ethnic studies uh, curriculum. And I wrote my senior thesis about that specific ethnic studies movement in California. And I was like, I'm trying to be there you know, and do work in ethnic studies. So I ended up going to Stanford, got my master's in education. I was also teaching Mexican-American history in East San Jose, and I loved it. I loved um, teaching. Okay, so I know I answered more than what you asked, and y'all know this one that I like to talk. So I'm just going to go and a <laughs> breather there and have you yes. ask me follow-up questions. And um, so also, like, I think, didn't you decide to go to Stanford because you – always wanted to go back to California and that was also like a reason why you chose Stanford instead of going somewhere else yes um instead of disappointing my mom and not going to Harvard <laughs> yeah so I got into Harvard and Stanford and a couple other schools and some people in the family wanted me to go to Harvard but I'm like ain't nobody trying to go no crusty dusty Harvard like Harvard is just a bunch of bricks and more entitled bitches that i'm not trying to deal with okay and i also and i'm sorry if y'all if any of y'all live in boston but if boston is just not my vibe let me tell you boston is not my vibe like it's hella white and it's hella cold and gloomy and it's just not giving for me right so if you're from there and you like it you know i'm rooting for you boo keep you know keep living your best life there but it's not for me so i was like I also wanted to go back to California for a minute. Like even an undergrad, I also got into Stanford and all these other schools. Mm -hmm. But I decided to go to Yale because I was like, okay, well, I've never lived in the East Coast before. I, you were a really strong proponent of, of Yale. And I really enjoyed the Latina Cultural Center there when I visited. And I just like felt like home. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I went there because it was a perfect fit for me. And so I decided not to go to Stanford. But I wanted to go to undergrad in California because I miss California. Ever since we moved to Nashville, I was like, I'm trying to take make take my ass back there, right? Because I miss the weather, I miss the you know how Mexican it is, and I miss all those things. Um, and so for graduate school, I'm like, I'm definitely gonna make my way back to the Golden Cups. Okay, so you're not gonna catch me no dusty, crusty Harvard's campus. You're gonna catch me <laughs> on the California's campus, and I'm so glad I went there because it was what I needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You did. You definitely did enjoy it. Um, so, you know, as you going to like an Ivy League and then also going to Stanford, and, which is kind of rare for someone who has that type of education to enter like the teaching profession, yeah. especially as a person of color um, yeah. and then a queer person of color. Like, yeah. how was your experience as a teacher? Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because even my students would be like, you went to Yale and Stanford, why are you a teacher? And I'll be like, so y'all telling me y'all don't need like 
well-educated teacher. Is that what y'all telling me? Um, and so even the students would say, you know, would notice that, right? And I honestly, being a first-gen, low-income student, queer, Latino at Ivy was really challenging, but honestly, it was even more challenging to have those identities as a teacher, at least from my experience. Um, and it's partly because when you're a teacher, you are the classroom leader for 120 plus kids. Um, if you work in low-income black and brown communities, um, like those, those conditions are more challenging just because of systemic racism, anti-blackness where that permeate the classroom. And so kids come in with like trauma. They come in with like, um, like more like learning needs. And they also come in with a lot of assets, of course, too, but I don't want to like discredit like the challenges that comes with working with our communities, you know, because of the histories of colonization and modern day racism. It's really challenging. Um, and as someone with my background, um, they've, most kids don't have teachers like me. Like, I think for a lot of kids, I was the first, like, not only Latino male educator, but the openly queer Latino male educator and the only one who had those identities and went to Yale and Stanford. Um, so I was making a huge impact in my life, in the lives of my students. Like, I would get notes all every year throughout the year about the impact that I was making. I would get my students to perform at really high levels. Like in 2021, I got my students to score the second highest from all of DC public and charter schools in the uh, AP World History exam, uh, which I'm really proud of. And um, I'm really proud of my students too. But like doing all that powerful work, having like those identities, like really was just so challenging. Just pushed me out like of the classroom and you know, research corroborates my experience of like why a lot of Black Indigenous teachers of color are pushed out. Um, and yeah, like I also felt those pressures. And and even though like I still miss working with kids every day, and I, you know, we've had conversations about me going back to the class and stuff like that. It's just like I don't. As of today, I'm so not ready to go back. And it's just like it's just too much. It's too much. And I know that it's partly me. It's partly like I have to go to therapy. And like, if I were to ever go back, like I have to go back like with a, an improved, healthier like mindset and boundaries and tools that I still don't have. And that's if I decide to go back, right? Um, but we were, talking, we were talking about how like, it's still systemic forces at play because I have to do this extra work that a white educator doesn't have to do, mm-hmm. right? A, word, a white educator doesn't have to do extra work of like just being the disciplinarian because I'm, I'm seen as that, right? And I do that because the kids would be like, ain't nobody going to tell me nothing unless Mr. Dubai tells me something. So I would have to go. Mm-hmm. They don't say that for, I mean, now I'm not saying there's effective white educators. I'm just saying they don't have those pressures, right? Mm-hmm. Or the pressures of seeing like the kids and be like, oh, that reminds me of mi hermano, my brother, like. Mm-hmm. or like the parents like that's dead ass my mom you know what i'm saying like and all these things that i would have to work through in therapy what a white educator doesn't right and so those are still systemic forces there at play. that 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 is so true that is so true um and i know like you growing up you always wanted to be a teacher because i remember we would play games and you always wanted to play the teacher and i was like the student and i would get over us playing that (laughs) but so i know that like you love the teaching uh profession in 2022 and what made you 
want to leave the classroom? Yeah, like you said, I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher, right? Um, like you pointed out, and I know I'm a teacher. Like I'm a teacher at heart. I'm always gonna be a teacher, whether I'm doing that formally or informally. Um, but like in addition to the broader systemic forces that I mentioned, I think like I decided last year specific last school year specifically was because um, it got even more challenging to be a teacher. Like COVID made it more challenging. Like we were in my school, I was like, and again, it was also partly me, my fault. I had all these leadership roles. I was the leader of the Queer and Trans Student Alliance, co-leading that. I was high school, the um, the tenth grade team lead. I was a history department co-lead. I was just doing too much, right? Building a business on the side, X, Y, and it was just too much. Um, and then kids were coming back from online learning and they were had more challenging like mental health challenges because of covid um and they were just like acting up more and teachers were quitting left and right and so i was like yeah this is time for me to go because i was burnt out but also i i wanted more flexibility like i just wanted more freedom flexibility and unfortunately like teaching is a profession that doesn't offer that it's like the opposite like when you're a teacher, it takes more work. You have more work for being out than being there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I honestly just have, I, I've always found it challenging to just be in one place. And teaching, I just feel even more trapped, you know. And the year before, I was like teaching remotely and I was still able to build a strong relationship with my students. I was able to spend a month in Nashville, two months in D.C. It's just like, you know, have way more freedom and flexibility that when I went back into the classroom, um, the building. Um, I didn't have that anymore. That really impacted me. And then my parents, also, our parents also moved to Mexico. And so like, I had to, you know, I didn't see them when I would come to, it was just so many factors. I was like, it's time for me to go. Um, and so, yeah, I left on July, uh, June, 2022. Mm-hmm. And you've been in a sabbatical so far. Um, and so that leads me to like, my other question is like, what is like your money story in the sense like how were you able to build a six-figure net worth by the age of 26 and also like take save enough money to take the sabbatical and leave the teaching profession so i guess it's like three questions <laughs> yeah right I say, uh, that sounds like all right. i'm gonna just do my best all right uh it, it sounds like one of them inter- job interviews like i'm asking one question and it's like 50 questions in one question that's like, so cute. <laughs> really good. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I understand the gist of your question, so I'm going to answer that. Um, yeah, so I worked my ass off in high school, and you saw me. You were there, right? I was grinding my ass off, honey, let me tell you. So I did that, and I graduated from the top of my class from one of the best schools in Tennessee. And I was so fortunate enough to get so many scholarship opportunities. So I got full rights for undergrad and graduate school and got even more scholarships to cover um, my living expenses. Um, and so I was lucky enough to graduate with my master's degree debt-free in addition to even having enough funding from graduate school funding sources to like pay off almost all of my car. And um, that was a huge help, right? And so I decided... Because, you know, I didn't have financial literacy and, you know, a lot of folks think that having a house, owning a house is the only way to build generational wealth. 
Um, obviously, I don't believe that anymore. But at that time, that's what I thought. And so I was like, I'm going to buy a house. I don't have any debt. I'm getting a full-time job. Um, and I had no money, let me tell y'all. Because the little money <laughs> that I had saved was like I used to relocate to Tennessee. Um, and so then was like really opposed to it. How about you share that little part? How about you, you share that little part? If you're resonating with this content, please leave us a review. We appreciate and read every review. Plus, reviews help us gain more visibility. Please and thank you. So I was opposed to him buying a house because, first of all, he didn't have any money. He didn't have yeah, no money. Here, right? No money in the bank <laughs> He had just started working, and I had to let him borrow the $1,000 for his down payment. Uh, but it's because I kind of knew right. I'm like, I know he's like a free spirit and he didn't need to be feeling like he was tied down. But that's why I was like hugely opposed to him owning a house. Um, but, you know, we're all all allowed to make our own, you know, money mistakes or not even a mistake. It's just like our it was our, journey, up- our money journeys. Yeah. And you let me borrow 1K, right? Because I use an, um, a state uh assistance program to buy the house and i mean you were onto something right because i just felt horrible it felt so trapped i was working in a terrible school that perpetuated the school to present nexus and i just got in a surgery my yep my appendix exploded during graduation for my master's degree and i came back to tennis it was just so many life-changing events so of course my anxiety was out the roof i couldn't you know so Nam came to visit me one day and she was like, aren't you hungry? I was like, no, I'm not really hungry. And I would come home from work when I was staying with my family, like really, really hungry. And so she's like, that's weird. And then I was having regular bowel movements. Like I was, you know, my palms were sweaty all the time. And so, um, and it was partly because of all these things. And I quit my first full-time job. You know, I quit. I had never quit anything in my life. And I didn't quit an office job. I quit like 125 students and that was so hard um and then i was like hustling i was like well i got bills to pay I, you know i have a whole mortgage now honey i got a whole mortgage now and i got my little i still had a little small car loan and i it was rough right so it was in that situation where i was like i went to yellow and stanford these like wealthy ass white ass schools and i you know had quote unquote the pedigree i even had no loans which is a huge thing for folks, but I still had no generational wealth. I was still, I was still broke. You know, I was still like poor in a way. Well, not necessarily. You know, I I just didn't have wealth, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, I can't do this. I can't not have no wealth. I need to get it together. And so I and I was like, at that time, I'm like, I need to pay my bills first of all. Let's start there, right? And so I started like hustling, like started delivering pizzas and Domino's, like started working, teaching English online. I started um, working at an immigration law firm. Uh, I was just hustling, and I got enough money to pay off my car, to pay my bills, and it, I was like listening to podcasts and deepening my financial literacy. And I was like, I need to just get this money right. And I also, during that time, realized that I still wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't want to be a teacher in that context. And I still wasn't ready to leave Nashville yet. And so I was like, let me become a teacher in a different context. So I worked at a more progressive school in Tennessee, which I really enjoyed and really grateful for. But I was like, I'm still not happy at that school because I'm not happy in Nashville. And so I left, and I also partly left because I wanted to make more money as a teacher so I could uh, accomplish my financial goals. And at that time, I thought that I wanted to 
retire early, um, which, you know, I came back to that now, you know, how life is just like a journey, I guess, take so many twists and turns. But uh, I was like, I want to invest aggressively. Um, oh, I also had a private loan from Stanford, which we talked about in one of the episodes, where I had to work as a teacher for four years to pay off my 20K private loan, which I did. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stay in teaching for four years so I can get that fully paid off. Um, and so I moved to DC because teachers got paid way more and I finesse y'all like, and I'm so grateful because my friend helped me finesse this. Like she was like, if you move here, I'll help you finesse. We ended up getting a little, a little house. Um, we used to call the house in the prairie, right on the prairie outside of, in the outskirts of DC, like in the ghetto, right. But, and we split that room, y'all. We split a room in a little house. And I was paying three fifty. She was paying three fifty for a whole year. And it worked out too because she was a consultant at that time and she was like working in California. Like she, her company would pay for her to be in California. And so she will she wouldn't be there full time, right? But yo, I'm so grateful for that because those paying three hundred fifty helped me get my money right. And um I was mm-hmm. and then I rented out my house um here and the extra money was going back to like repairs and stuff like that um but i still own my house and um i was just hustling after school like just um getting all the little stipends that i could and i was just investing and working during the summers and just investing all that money to the point where i was able to build a six-figure net worth so it was just out and i also would deprive myself a lot right i had a zero-based budget and I just like, I can't, I would feel like if I spent $2 more on something else for the week, I would, I feel horrible. I would feel horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and now would I do it all over again? I actually would do it all over again because I was able to build such a strong financial foundation for myself. Um, and it's so critical for like first gen people to have that. Right. Um, and I just feel like I, I would finesse because I know there's just seasons in our lives and I would do it all mm-hmm. over again because I want. I want the flexibility and the options that I now have because of that of that grind that I did and those sacrifices that I had. Yeah, that's true. And also, like, I know we talk about this a lot, how we don't believe, like, in hustle culture. But, like, sometimes you do have to hustle uh, just to build that, finan- like, financial foundation that you're going to need in order to be able to do, do focus on other financial goals or, like, other parts of your life. Um, that's going to make you happy. But yeah, um, yeah, you did. Uh, you did a lot during that time, and I remember that was the time where you finally like started listening to me because before <laughs> that you're like, yeah, you do whatever. Uh, I remember remember that story that I always talk about when we went to Chipotle. And you're like, hey, you just quit your job. You don't have money. You're like, yeah, whatever. Give me that burrito. Oh yeah. I mean, so it's all we're all in our journeys, right? And we always say like we all come to different parts of our journeys where like we feel ready and we can't pressure nobody to feel ready um, until they actually come to that readiness on the, on, on their own. Um, but yeah, like I didn't see money in that way. Um, I just, I just didn't even think about it. I wasn't intentional about spending money and now it's all about intentionality, right? It's like, yeah, I want to spend more, but I'm going to be intentional because um, I know that, Money is my life. It's the energy, right? I, I'm exchanging money for my life, for my energy, my life. 
And so I'm going to be intentional about how I'm going to spend that money. Whereas before I didn't see it that way. Um, you know, we would go <laughs> every Friday when I first started teaching, like the first the first month, we would go. Remember, like you and I would go on a little like dinner date or whatever. And every Friday to celebrate the end of the week. And you would tell me about like, you know, you can invest all this money. And I'd be like, can I get another margarita? How about that? Right? Can I get another margarita? How about that? <laughs> um, learn that you needed to change your money habits um, around uh, because that's really important. And that's because of that you are where you are now. Like you you were able to take a whole year off uh, for your sabbatical to focus on yourself. And mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Oh, so let me tell you about how I was able to save for my sabbatical. I forgot about that. Um, so when I went back into the classroom or into the building, August of 2021, um, I was like, yeah, it's time for me to go. This is just when we were here getting all the COVID regulations and all those. I was like, it's time for me to go. And so I stopped investing in my IRA and funneled that money into my sabbatical. And I started doing more stipend work. That's why, you know, I was hustling a lot, like getting all these leadership roles to get the stipends. And I would put that, funnel that money into my retirement account, uh, or not to retire, my sabbatical fund. Um, and yeah, like I was also building an emergency, emergency fund and then I stopped once I reached my goal and that extra money that I start, I, so I was just and, funneling and all my money into the sabbatical fund, for right? People to know. And so I was able you know, to build it is called money for, a, for to a be reason, able you know? to be on the sabbatical. <laughs> That's how I was able to, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, Right, I know some of you cheese Moses over there trying to know how much money I saved. Twenty um, k, I saved twenty k, and I also, yeah, twenty k to just like bop around, bop around. So I made sure that I did my little spreadsheet and all that, all that, you know. So I like this is what I need, so I can bop around. And I, and I'm so happy that I I've been able to do that. I, it's exactly what I needed. It's exactly what I needed for sure. Okay, so my next question for you is, why is it important for teachers and women of color to get their money right? Yep. So teachers specifically, we, if you want to stay in the profession long term, you know, we support any decision that you take. Um, But if you decide to stay in it long term, you cannot afford to be financially illiterate. Because as this year has taught us, inflation is out the roof and our salaries are stagnant. And we are severely overworked as well. So you cannot afford not knowing how to invest, how to make your money work hard for you. Because a lot of us, a lot of y'all be having side hustles, right? Because you feel like this little teacher salary ain't going to cut it for paying off your debt, you know, all these things. And so if you decide to stay in the classroom long term, you need to deepen your financial literacy point blank, period. Okay. Um, so you can quit your side hustles, right? So you can build wealth on the teacher salary. So you can gain more options in your careers and life. So you can gain financial security. So you can stop living paycheck to paycheck. Like there's so many reasons why you, teachers in particular should get their money right. Since we have already so much stress and responsibilities on our plates. 
Women of color tend to tend to most teachers of color tend to be women of color just because of you know the history behind that of you know feminizing the education system and that's why or like the teaching profession that's why um, I don't even think that's the word feminization whatever the word is y'all I don't, I don't remember the word but like um, that's why the teaching profession is teachers are not paid enough and it's like this is respected because of patriarchy and misogyny. If it was men, mostly men being teachers, I, I can tell you it would be a very different story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, women of color sit at the intersection of racism and, and sexism, particularly black women and black trans women. Of, of women. And so, um, you know, there, there is a gender pay gap. And in order to combat that gender pay gap, like we need to deepen our financial literacy and take action ourselves, right? We always want to push for systemic change. But I'm going to let y'all know the systemic change takes forever for it to come. And the ones who are pushing tend to be communities from like marginalized communities, right? And so we cannot wait for that change. You have to take action your own hand. And that is racism, right? The fact that we have to take action too, is like more work for us. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the reality that we live in, unfortunately, but we also have a lot of power. We also have, you know, agency and we remember that um, and exercise that power and agency by learning how to get your money right and getting your money right. Yeah, that that's so true. All right. So that leads me to the next question, which is if you could give one piece of financial advice uh, to another teacher or woman of color, what would it be? Um, I would be to work on your money mindset, your relationship with money, as you are learning about personal finance, as you are paying off debt, investing, um, because I feel like the healthier your relationship with money is, the more peace you have, the more, the healthier decisions you'll be able to take about your finances, um, and the better your quality of life will be. And I think at the end of the day, like that's what we're working towards. It's like improving our quality of life, lives and having more peace. And a lot of folks tend to, you know, build wealth and still feel like anxious when they think about money. They still feel like they can lose all their money. Mm-hmm. And that may be from stem from money trauma, from capitalism, whatever it may be. But like, what's the point of having a lot of money or having financial, strong financial foundation when you're, don't feel like you're secure. I don't see a point. I, you know, I, I feel like I, I don't see a point, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, so- and I agree. And I agree. And I also believe that that's one of the reasons why we have really wealthy people that don't need all that money, but mm-hmm. they probably want to keep on hoarding money and money because they haven't worked on their money mindset like they feel like there's never enough money even though they have all the money in the world and if they only were to work on that like you know they'll probably be more generous too well i mean it's partly too because of capitalism and consumerism like on a daily brainwashes us Mm -hmm. right and so we actively have to intentionally like combat that by working on your relationship with money right so that's my piece of advice please if you can go to therapy go to therapy if you can you know read books that help you have healthier mindsets please do that because i feel like that's 
that is a key component in this journey. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so, you know, before we end the interview, I want to ask you some um, fire rapid questions or like we call it here, money chismic questions, because we want to know all your, your tea about your money situations. But so the first question is, what is a funny money story that you have had? <laughs> well, I think we already said it, you know, where I was like, you were telling me like, you know, if you invest, uh, $15 a week you can be like, yeah can we get another margarita <laughs> or when you were when you were like I had just quit my job I ain't got no money in my bank account and I was like bitch I'm hungry let me get a Chipotle and you're like are you sure you want a Chipotle you can eat? I was like let me get a Chipotle right <laughs> I think that's <laughs> Uh, yeah that's true those were funny like those were not funny in the moment but they were definitely funny like coming back and like remembering those situations yes okay so my second question is what is your worst purchase of this year i have my worst purchase of this year so i recently have become more um inclined to buy more jewelry like chains and I'm just, I ain't got the money for that yet. But I had this little side hustle that gave me money that it was unexpected side hustle like in June. And it gave me good money. I didn't have to work that much. And I was like, well, I want to buy a gold chain, right? But let me find out that gold chains are really expensive. So I went to a place that's already affordable where I bought my little silver chain. And they're like, it's like $500 for a little gold chain. I was like, hold up. I ain't got no $500 for that. So the cheapest they had was $150. And it was a small one. And it was cute, you know, it was giving cute. I was like, oh, it's cute, it's cute. So I bought it, I spent $150, and then, like, a couple days later, like, I broke it, because it's so thin, it was so thin, that's why it was so cheap, because it was not, there's not a lot of gold, it was cute, but it was so thin. So I was taking it, it was hard for me to take it, I was trying to take it off, and then it broke. And I was like, there goes $150, and I tried to put it back together with super glue, now it looks all ratchet and stuff. <laughs> With so, super glue? What? <laughs> uh, yes, with super glue. I thought that was what's gonna work. What What happened to it? Did you just throw it away? No, it's right there. Well, I'm hoping that you know somehow I wake up one day and it's fixed. You know, does you know that is you know I that like La Rosa de Guadalupe comes you know and it's just like there please <laughs> with a white with a white rose next to it. <laughs> yeah, it's saying you know Merry Christmas from you know heaven or whatever but it's just there i mean i should fix it but i'm like i think i messed it up with that super glue i feel like it's game over with that super glue like even if i were to take it somewhere else i don't know so that's definitely my worst purchase of the year and i'm very sad about it now you know my sadness has just came back to me i had gotten over it now i'm like sad again <laughs> so i guess the moral of this question of the, of the story is not to buy not to go really cheap sometimes <laughs> because then isn't there like you buy cheap you buy multiple times like a thing no. you know and i had learned that why well, you know what? i actually haven't really learned so let me not say that i learned um but yeah that was definitely my, the worst purchase of this year unfortunately i'm not gonna get my 150 dollars back yeah and like you also decided to purchase a gold chain when like gold is really expensive because the stock usually when the stock market goes down a lot of people get panicky and they switch their money and start buying gold um so yeah it was definitely the the worst (laughs) moment in time to buy gold (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it is what it is. Okay, I done learned my lesson now. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing your money cheesemas. Like you know, like we said, like I like knowing all your money cheesemas, the tea about what's going on. And you know, um, I love yeah. to spill tea too. I love to spill tea. So. Mm-hmm. You love to spill all the tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, that's the end of the of the interview. And thank you so much for um, tuning in. To today's episode and thank you so much Israel, for sharing your story you're welcome and remember y'all to live teach and to share the bag if you took anything from this episode please take a screenshot and tag us on instagram at dream teacher project 